Hello, neighbor. You are listening to the New Garden Church podcast, and we are so glad you're here. Our church meets at 10 a.m. at DuPont Tyler Middle School in Hermitage, Tennessee. You can join us in person, or you can catch our gatherings after the fact on our YouTube channel. We would love to hear from you. We hope that you enjoy what you hear today and check back in with us again soon. So before I launch off into the parable that we're going to talk about this week, then I, I want to I want to say, and I hate to use a cliche like God put it on my heart, because it's a cliche, right? But I, I watched a, uh, this video kind of showed up in one of my social media feeds this week that really really bothered me, and I determined I, I went back and forth in my own mind and prayer with God whether I would talk about who said it, what was said, and that type of thing. And then I remember this quote from John Maxwell said, great people talk about ideas, average people talk about them sm- themselves, and, other, and small people talk about others. So I don't want to talk about people, I want to talk about an idea. And I want to be intentional. And I want to bear faithful witness to the, to the text that we have. When Jesus being arrested... Matthew 26, he's bound up and, and his followers are there and one of them jumps up and they slice off the ear of one of the guys that's trying to arrest him. And Jesus stops and he says, look, put your sword away. For those who draw the sword will die by the sword. And this one of those kicks back to one of those songs that I've been singing since I was like this high, right? He could have called 10,000 angels. Don't you know that I could call on my father and at once he would put 12 legions of angels at my disposal. But how then would the scripture be fulfilled? Because it has to happen this way. And in the same storyline, but in the book of John, later on, John writes and he says, there's this thing going on between Pilate and Jesus. And Jesus is right kind of at the edge, almost at the, the point where they're going to crucify him. And, and Pilate's talking. He comes back to Jesus. He's, he's really bothered by what's he here. And, he, and, he, and he, he talks to him and says, where do you come from? And Jesus won't engage with him. And finally, Pilate says, don't you realize that I have the power to put you to death? Don't you realize that it's within my power either to set you free or to crucify you? And Jesus, I don't know how, he's God, right? God made flesh. And Jesus says, you have no power but what has been given you. Jesus died on the cross because that's what he had to do in order for the world to be reconciled back to God. Jesus chose the way of the cross. God allowed it. No one... No government, no government entity took Jesus' life. Jesus gave his life. Jesus did not need protection from his government. The winds, the winds and the waves obeyed what he said. If you're confused about why I talk about this, consider yourself thankful that you haven't heard some of the things that have been floating around this week. And if you know me, you know I hate politics. So I'm going to say one more thing, then I'm going to move on into my my text for today. We need to stop making Jesus a Republican or a Democrat. He was, is, and never will be either of those. We are called as faithful followers of His to be kingdom witnesses. We cannot be faithful to a kingdom that is not of this world if we align ourselves with kingdoms of this world. 
We're not called as followers of Jesus to be on the left or the right side of the political aisle. We're called as followers of Jesus to be revolutionaries. To live in such a way that helps the inbreaking of the kingdom become a reality in the world we live in. And we can't do that if we line ourselves with things that are of this world. May God have mercy. And I pray Jesus comes quickly. But until then, I hope we're faithful to Him and to Him alone. And know that that is where our allegiance lies. Will you pray with me for a minute? God, help us to be faithful. Help us when we're in the midst of turmoil and all the things that happen in this world to know that you are a good, good Father. And to know that you are in control, that you're taking care, and that we are not called to be part of this world, but we're called to be part of something so much greater and so much better. Help us to live that out in our lives. Help us to be strong enough not to be pulled in and to be cast around by all the things going on. Help us to be faithful to you and to you alone. And help our allegiance be to your kingdom and your kingdom alone. Thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen. Life is full of risks. When you were younger, it was about asking that special boy or that special girl out. Can you imagine, do you remember when you were in junior high and how risky it was to say that you liked him or her and how risky it was to actually make that move to ask that, that boy or that girl out and, and what it would do in your social circle if you did. And as we get older, right, there, as we get older, there's other things that become riskier. Moving becomes a risky thing. Like we become very much so a mobile culture. America has, where we don't think anything of picking up and leaving and moving far distances away from our families to go to school, to live, to work, and to do those things. But at the same time, we become quite adept at uh, trying to mitigate risk. Insurance companies, that's what they base their business model off of, right? Trying to figure out how to spend the least amount of money. And any business, really, any industry has figured out that they have to at the very least manage risk in order to be successful. But then you've got the people on the other side who are, who are all about that rush of risk and all about that rush of doing things that bring this, this kind of this, uh, this feeling of, of, of life and being alive and feeling alive. And some of us, some of the rest of us are terrified of risk, right? Charles talked last week a little bit about investment in the stock market and all that. What's your investment guy telling you right now? If he's good, he or she, if they're good, they're saying, stay calm. Don't panic. We're supposed to buy where? When it's low, right? And what is, what's everybody doing now because it's low? Everybody's trying to get out because it's low. They've lost so much money. See, we're trying to mitigate our risks. It's counterintuitive, right? And so we really, we try and find that sweet spot. We... Okay, how do we buy the biggest security system so that we can see everything going on in our house and everything going on in our driveway and everything going on down the street and up the street so that we can make sure that we are prepared for anything that comes down and we can handle anything that comes? Let's get more guns. Let's get bigger guns. Let's have bigger armies. Let's have bigger navies. Let's have bigger air force. So if we have the biggest, we'll be the best and we can mitigate all the risks because we can wipe everybody out. Now, if you go back to investing, we... When I sit down once a year with my investment guy, he says, okay, we got you spread across all this so that your risk is, is mitigated, so that everything isn't all in one basket. But then we get to the spiritual side of the conversation. 
And whether we say it out loud, we try and figure out, okay, how much Jesus do I need in order to get me to heaven? But not so much that I really have to change my life. How much Jesus is enough? Is it too much Jesus if we have to, after coming to Him, change our jobs because our jobs require us to do unethical things? Oh, that's not that's too much Jesus because I've got to take care of my family. Or how much is too much Jesus if I've got to change my opinions, if I've got to start thinking about certain people differently, if I've got to treat, start treating certain people differently? Or is it too much if I have to change my attitudes? Ah, that's too much Jesus. Well, Jesus, I'll change how I live as long as it doesn't inconvenience me. Or if I don't have to give up too much of the stuff that I really like to do, or I really like to say, or how I really like to act. And I get it. Like, change, change isn't really something any of us are interested in, is it? Change is hard. Change is difficult. Change is scary. This is who I am. Like me or leave me. I'm not going to change. And this... That mindset, though, is in stark reality of life in Jesus because the reality of life in Jesus is God may call you like you are, but does God expect you to stay stagnant throughout your whole Christian life? You see, life with God, lived through Jesus, lived by the Spirit, is about transformation, not destination. We've done a bad job of making that decision to follow Jesus about the, the end, not the beginning of the journey. You see, once we decide that we're going to follow Jesus, then the process becomes about living towards what He has created us for. And He's created all of us for something. Something greater than just twiddling our thumbs and living in this world until we can die and go to heaven one day. And We don't have to look far past the story that precedes our parable today to see how life with Jesus changes you or ought to change us instantly. Jesus headed into Jericho, and there's this wee little man, and the wee little man was he, Zacchaeus, right? Who wanted to see Jesus, so he climbed up in a tree, and as Jesus came by, Jesus said, Hey, hey, Zach, come down here, I'm going to your house. And when Zacchaeus came and face-to-face with Jesus, he realized that his life was not what it was supposed to be. And he realized that his life was about, his life had to change. And he said, okay, Jesus, look, I'm going to take half of what I got, I'm going to give it away. And if I've stolen from anybody, if I've cheated anybody, and we know because Zacchaeus was a what? Zacchaeus was a tax collector, so we know that he had not done anything. Most of what he'd done was not honorable. He said, not only am I going to give half what I got away, I'm going to give back. If I've stolen from somebody, taken from somebody, I'm going to give back at a 400% rate of return. Four times what I stole. And this story isn't about money so much as it is about change. Zacchaeus was a risk taker before he met Jesus. You see, he decided to align himself with the government, which allowed him to absorb, take whatever he wanted from the people around him via taxes. As long as he gave Rome what they, they were supposed to have, he could keep whatever was left over. And so he was lining his pockets with lots and lots of money. 
And so he was hated by his own people. Then all of a sudden he meets Jesus and he's rushing to the other side of the stage. He's rushing to the other side of the, of the spectrum and he goes from being not only hated by his country, but now he's hated by his fellow tax collectors because now he's going to stop operating. And so when tax time comes, the people are going to be looking for Zacchaeus going, hey, is Zacchaeus working today so I can make sure I get a fair shake and not get taken advantage of? You see, Jesus and Zacchaeus came in contact with the other with each other, and it changed Zacchaeus. And he became somebody different because that is what following Jesus is about. And that's what about following Jesus is all about. He did basic things, things we understand, but they were counterintuitive to the life that he was living. It wasn't like who he was. And so we, to our text for today... And I, in hindsight, I probably should have used the one out of Matthew 25 because it's much more um, known, right? In Matthew 25, Matthew calls it the parable of the talents. Here's the parable of the minas, which is a, a monetary unit that they would have understood. And we could put a financial spin on this, but for me, it's really about doing something. It's about doing anything kingdom-related in regard or with regard to what God has given us. And so the story goes, there's this wealthy nobleman, and he's headed out of town to be crowned king. And before he goes, he calls three guys to him and says, look, here, I'm going to give you, I'm going to be gone. Here's ten minas, here's five minas, and here's one. Take care of that while I'm gone. And the story tells us he was not popular. They followed him on their chariots with their bumper stickers said, not my king. But he came back as the king, Right? And when he came back, he called them all back to him. And the guy with ten said, here's the ten you gave me, and here's ten more. And he said, good job, here's ten cities to rule over. And the other guy came up and said, here's five, and here's five more. And he said, good, here's five cities to rule over. And the one guy comes back and he's like, you are terrifying. I know you're a hard man, and so I really didn't want to get in trouble with you. So I kept this nice and clean and safe, and I put it away. Nobody saw it, nobody knew it, it was just there. Here it is. I didn't lose it, but I also I didn't use it. And so the guy goes, so you knew that I was a hard man, and yet you did nothing. Take it away from him and give it to the one who's got ten. You see, the one minus man, the one who got the smallest amount, took risk even though he didn't use the money. Because even taking the smallest amount of money from this nobleman, this future king, was to align himself with that nobleman. Because once he took it, everybody around knew who the master was. You see, to call someone your king or to call someone your master is to accept their goals as your own. And when we, in that moment of baptism or claiming Jesus as your own, when we proclaim that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is King of our lives, is to accept that His will and His work in this world is now our will and our work in this world. It requires that whatever we do, we work toward His goals. When we think about taking a job, when we think about a family, when we think about where we're going to send our kids to school, when we think about all those things, when we think about retirement or whatever comes next... The ultimate goal is how, how does this fit into the kingdom of God and what God is trying to do in this world? That we take the talents, the minas, whatever you want to put there, that He has given it, and we use those to further the kingdom of God. 
And that ultimately, ultimately means that we lead risky lives. The journey that Garden has been on was not undertaken lightly. There's been twists and there's been turns. There's been a lot of fights. There's been lost relationships. There's been tears. There's been blood and sweat. And all those things that come into this, this angst that goes through a church that goes, to a, goes through a major transition. But it's also been about taking what God has given into the lives of the leadership of this church, stretching back over decades, and using that to further what God is trying to do in this world. And we all choose to follow Jesus, and that comes with risk. When we all choose to follow Jesus, that comes with risk. And when we're talking about church, that's an even greater thing. And your journey in this world, your journey with Jesus in this world, is, and mine is the same. Following Jesus should be risky. Following Jesus should be something that when you do it, people, people say, okay, it's not going to be the same person that it was before. Life isn't going to be the same. Life becomes not about you. I looked for the clip of um, Dr. Phil saying, it's not about you. And I wanted to play that, but I couldn't find it. I guess it's been a long time since he said it. Do you all know who Dr. Phil is, or did I just really date myself right there? You know who Dr. Phil is? It's not about you. Um, selfward, selfish inward living is a dead end. Selfish living is destructive and is deadly. I'm currently digging myself out of a pit that I dug myself into when I had a bad breakup with a church. I burned out hard. Kerry Newhoff, and I've talked about him in some of my other sermons, he, he went through a, a period of burnout, and I came upon his book and some of his writings at just the right time in, in, my, in my walk, and he says, burnout is like the function of life continuing after the joy of life is gone. And after I had lots of pity parties for myself and lots of times where I said, it's their fault, they're bad people, they shouldn't have done this, they shouldn't act like this, I finally came to the realization with the help of a lot of people that living life looking inward is making, was making me miserable. And that I needed to look outward and see what God was calling me to. And that's just not true for my life. Any business book you pick up that's been written in the last year is going to tell you that businesses today that are successful have two common traits. Number one, they're trying to improve the world. And number two, they're trying to improve the life of their workers. That profit is not the only thing they're concerned about. That profit is not the only thing that they care about, but they are cared about making the world a better place and making the lives of their workers a better place. The risk of the way of the cross is that life is now outward focused and not inwardly focused. I'm called to do something, anything for someone else and not myself. And if all that I ever do is seek to maintain my own happiness, that is a surefire way to end up in disaster and a miserable place in life. I stumbled upon this video that we're going to show here. It's very poignant and it's on point to what we're, where we're at this morning. And I want to preface this by once you see the actor, you know who he is and you'll maybe be surprised you're going to see it on Sunday morning. 
He's an atheist, but I believe God can use his work. Something you said, that it's not all about me. And even though I'm in pain, it's worth sticking around to maybe make my little corner of the world a slightly better place. That's all there is. Happiness is amazing. It's so amazing, it doesn't matter if it's yours or not. It's that lovely thing. A society grows great when old men plant trees, the shade of which they know they will never sit in. Good people do things for other people. That's it, the end. It was something you said, that it's not all about me. How powerful is that? A society grows great when old men plant trees that they know, that's a Greek proverb, by the way, that they know they will never sit under, they will never benefit from. Now, this is a very dark comedy. If you've seen it, you know what it is, and I'm not going to advocate you go watch it. It's very humanistic in its approach, but the value is evident. We, as followers of Christ, don't do things that benefit us. We don't do things so that we can get prayers answered like we talked about last week. We don't do things so that we can get into heaven one day. Like God's not sitting up there with a clipboard being, okay, Josh, you've done enough. Take the rest of your life off. We don't do things so we'll be forgiven one day. We do things because that is who we are called to be. We do things because we choose to be part of the kingdom. We do things because at some point in your life, you decide to stand up and say, Jesus is Lord of my life. I decided one day to put Jesus on in baptism, and in that day, I proclaimed for the world to know that Jesus is my king. And because Jesus is my king, his will, his way, his life is my life now. And so what I do, anything, something, anything, I, whatever I do, my mind, that my life is for his and that my goal is that I seek His kingdom. And that I help, instead of aligning myself with this world, I align myself with Him so that the kingdom may come in earnest here, now. And we can show the world what it looks like to live in relationship with Jesus. And that it's not just something we do on Sunday mornings, but it's something that impacts our life in such a great way that we have changed on a very fundamental level who we are and how we live our lives. Whether God has given you a lot of talents, a lot of whatever word you want to kick in there, whether God has given you one, the goal is, is that you use that for His kingdom, for His world, for His purposes. Pray with me. God, for today, I am thankful for the opportunity to stand here 
and proclaim your word. And I pray that I've been faithful in doing that. Father, today, as we look into our own lives, show us the blind spots. Show us the places where we have not allowed you to inhabit and help us to become the people you've created us to be. Help us to be the people that you've called us to be, not so we can get to heaven one day, but so that the world can come and the world can know you. Help us to be lovers of peace. Help us to be a light in this darkness. In Jesus' name, amen. John's going to come and he's going to lead us to the table. That's it for this time. Thank you for checking in with us and we'll be back with another episode next week.